This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. The Informer Daily is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. At Joy 94.9, we'd like to pay our ongoing respects to Elders past, present and emerging. The Informer is funded in part by the Community Broadcasting Foundation, cbf.com.au. And of course, the members and donors of Joy 94.9. This is the Informer Daily for Tuesday, the 19th of May, 2020. I'm your host, Arian Potts. Today, it's National Volunteers Week. We're speaking to Adrian Picone, the CEO of Volunteering Australia, about their Wave for Volunteers initiative. And here at Joy 94.9, we're changing how we work with our volunteers. And there's some really interesting things that are coming out of that. We speak to CEO and Barry about what's happening and why it's a good thing. But first, this update. This is Dee Mason with the Joy 94.9 COVID-19 update for Tuesday the 19th of May. China will support a World Health Organization-led review on the global response to COVID-19. The announcement was made at the World Health Assembly meeting overnight. Chinese President Xi Jinping defended China's handling of the pandemic, saying his nation had been open and transparent. This comes as Australian produce is hit with heavy tariffs in China to punish Australia for leading the call for an independent review into COVID-19 spread. Free childcare may be coming to an end in June, despite a new report showing the sector has benefited greatly from the scheme. Federal Education Minister Dan Tian says childcare will likely no longer be free on June 28th. It's been found offering free childcare has allowed over 75% of providers to remain open and financially viable while caring for the children of essential workers. States that have closed their borders are facing mounting criticism for not reopening them as case numbers for COVID-19 continue to decline. National Cabinet's Health Advisory Committee says internal border closures were never a recommendation and Prime Minister Scott Morrison says he's wanting all borders to be open in time for the July holidays. Western Australian Premier Mark McGowan has responded by saying his government will reopen the border when they feel it is safe to do so. American President Donald Trump says he's been taking anti-malaria drug hydroxychlorine for a week as a preventative measure against COVID-19. The president has been touting the medicine for months, despite no evidence suggesting it is either safe or effective when treating COVID-19. Health authorities in the United States are warning against taking the drug outside of hospital treatment or clinical trials as it can have potentially dangerous side effects, including risks of heart rhythm problems. Australian doctors have reported they are seeing an increase in patients asking for a prescription for the drug. The International Cricket Council says they will implement a ban on spit-shining balls once the sport resumes. Bowlers have been wiping their saliva on balls for decades to keep one side shiny while the other gets increasingly scuffed, changing how the ball moves in the air and making it more unpredictable. Players will still be allowed to use sweat, which should generate the same effect without risking the spread of COVID-19. Teachers in New South Wales are expressing frustration at not being consulted over the decision to reopen schools from next Monday. Many teachers across the state found out about schools opening through the media. They say they should have been informed of the decision through their schools or the education department. 
Groups of 20 may be able to gather in Canberra starting next month as restrictions will be further eased on May the 30th. This is assuming current trends remain and case levels remain as they are. If this trend continues, gatherings of up to 100 people will be allowed by June 19. This is the Informer Daily on Joy 94.9 and across Australia on the Community Radio Network. This week is National Volunteering Week, which, like many events and services at the moment, has moved online. The event is calling for people to wave for volunteers by drawing a smiley face on their hands and posting a photo of themselves waving with the smiley face under the hashtag WaveForVolunteers. This year has seen an especially high demand for volunteer work between the bushfires this summer and the COVID-19 pandemic. And so Nicholas Kamenyu-Sandri spoke to the CEO of Volunteering Australia, Adrian Picone, about what volunteering looks like right now and why volunteers ought to be celebrated. What is National Volunteer Week? So National Volunteer Week is held each year in May, and it's an opportunity to say thank you to the 6 million Australians that volunteer in our community each year. This year is obviously an exceptional volunteer, National Volunteer Week, uh, because we've had such an exceptional year. Because usually what happens in National Volunteer Week is organisations across the country host events in their local organisations. But of course, we can't get together for events this year. So we wanted to find a way that we could actually celebrate volunteering, acknowledge its contribution and thank the volunteers. And we're running an online event to do that this year. So can you tell me about this online event? Uh, What does it entail? How do people attend, as it were? Yeah, so there's actually a number of webinars that are happening, but really what we would like people to do is to get behind our campaign, which is called Wave for Volunteers. Uh, We're asking people to draw a smiley face on their hand and to hold their hand up in a wave, um, take a selfie, and post that online with the hashtag Wave for Volunteers. And it's really just a, it's a shout out to volunteers, really. And we want to create a national wave across the country of, of gratitude and thanks and acknowledgement to the contribution that volunteers make. You said that this year has been an especially like exceptional year for the amount of demand for volunteer work. How much more volume are we seeing in terms of... Uh, uh, volunteers giving up their time during what has been quite a eventful year so far? It has. It's really been an extraordinary year this year for, for everybody and, and volunteers are really no exception to that. So what we really found when COVID-19 first hit was that the way that volunteer-involving organisations responded was that we had probably around 80% of organisations that had to close their doors and send their volunteers home, often overnight because it wasn't actually safe for them to continue volunteering. And on the other hand, we had probably around 20% of organisations that had to ramp up services and often find new volunteers quite quickly because they were deemed essential services. Um, And so, you know, the the contrast for the organisations was on the one hand having volunteers that were self-isolating at home and not able to volunteer, And on the other hand, programs really having to extend their services and find new volunteers. So it's been been quite an unusual um, set of circumstances that's led to that. Can you tell me about volunteer safeguarding, what that usually means, but also what it means now in the current pandemic circumstances? Yes, and I think the really important thing that we have to keep in mind is that 
organisations that involve volunteers have the same duty of care to volunteers as they would have to paid staff. So volunteers have the right to be working in safe working conditions. And one of the things that we've been trying to do at Volunteering Australia is, is to develop tools and resources and templates and information to provide to organisations about safe working conditions for volunteers, particularly in relation to increased sanitation, but also about how they can adapt their volunteer programs to meet the government's guidelines um, around social distancing. And I think the other thing that's really important to consider is that volunteering should always be of a person's own free will. So if a person doesn't feel safe to leave their home and to, to go do their volunteer role, then they should never feel compelled to keep going. Volunteering is something that many Australians might not think too much about. So what are the kind of valuable things that volunteers do for um, our communities in Australia that, you know, uh, people might uh, take for granted or might not consider but are actually quite important? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I think sometimes we, when we think about volunteering, we just think about those sort of traditional forms of volunteering, so volunteering that might happen in sort of welfare-based organisations. Uh, but the thing about volunteering is it is absolutely going on everywhere and every day and often unnoticed, unnoticed and unrecognised. And so volunteering, it happened in education, so in schools and universities and tech colleges. It also happens in the environment. So we have lots of local sort of land care groups and wild care groups that are out there planting trees and looking after our environment. In the arts, where we have an enormous amount of art and cultural festivals across the country and in sport, of course, because, you know, we, we, our children literally wouldn't play sport if it wasn't for volunteers. Um, and, then, and then we have our emergency services and we saw some pretty amazing examples of the contribution that emergency services volunteers make during the fires where they really stood up and were at the front line, saving lives, saving homes and, and saving properties. So if somebody listening to this wanted to sign up as a volunteer, what uh, sort of volunteering could they sign up for and where do you think um, work is most needed? Well, well, right now, those organise those organisations that are working in essential services, so organisations like Meals on Wheels and Food Bank or community transport kind of organisations, are the ones that are still operating and are often in need of more volunteers. And that will be particularly the case, I suspect, when we do start the recovery period more fully, because as we know that there's some concerns that we may have increased. Um, levels of mental health issues or depression because of isolation or, or um, whatever. Um, so potentially there will be more of a demand for those services. So I suspect those will be the services that will be requiring more volunteers as we start moving more fully into the recovery period. But I think the thing is, if people would really like to get involved in volunteering, I would really recommend they go to our website, which is called Go Volunteer, and there's thousands of opportunities across the country that they can find and it's about them working out what their passion is and what they would like to get involved in. And alternatively, um, each state and territory has their own volunteering peak body based in the capital city so that they can look up those peak bodies. And again, that information is all available on the Volunteering Australia website. And they can go and chat to somebody about how they can get involved in volunteering in their local community. 
And uh, where's the best place for people to go to celebrate National Volunteer Week or to see the celebrations happening online? We would love them to get behind volunteers this year and join our Way for Volunteers campaign. You can go on to the Volunteering Australia uh, Facebook page or our website and post a photo of yourself with the hashtag Wave for Volunteers and say thank you to the volunteers that you know. That was Adrian Picon, CEO of Volunteering Australia, speaking to informer reporter Nicholas Kamenier-Sandry. Just a reminder, if you'd like to take part in National Volunteer Week, you can do so by using the hashtag Wave for Volunteers or hashtag NVW2020. And you can find out more about volunteering, www.volunteeringaustralia.org. This is the Informer Daily on Joy 94.9 and across Australia on the Community Radio Network. Here at Joy 94.9 in Melbourne, we have somewhere around 250 to 300 volunteers, and people do a variety of things, from office admin tasks to producing radio programs, tech, planning the music for Melbourne's most uplifting music mix during the day. There's a really wide variety of things that get done. And last week, Joy CEO Ann Berry announced how the organization is taking a different approach to managing and working with volunteers. It's National Volunteer Week, and last week, Ann, you um, sent out a really interesting idea to our volunteers at Joy 94.9. What can you tell me about this? Yeah, sure, Arian. This week is a really special week for me personally and I think for Joy as an organisation because it enables us to reflect on the fact that, you know, 95%, if, yeah, if not, say, 98% of our team are unpaid team members and they power this station, you know, and Volunteer Week reminds us that how a how fortunate we are as an organisation to have such a strong workforce who devote their time and passion and, and are very committed to this organisation and to serve. But the second thing is this year in particular, I sent around a message to our team because I I believe as a fairly new CEO to Joy, um, it's time that we sat down one on one with each of our team members, which is not easy because we have a very small management team of five people and a very large. Um, broader team of 250 but it's time we sat down and actually uh, talked with our people about what their their hopes and desires and ambitions are um, mm-hmm. for the work they are doing in this organization and similarly for me as a leader to share the vision that we have for joy moving forward and that is you know as joy grows into a multimedia organization there are now lots more opportunities that are about to evolve for our team members and I would very much like to be able to support people to play to their strengths and to pursue their goals within the organisation. So my email was all about explaining that, you know, in the past, Joy as an organisation has perhaps put up opportunities and asked people to apply but what I'd like to do now at this point in time is really get to know everybody, get to know their hopes and desires and see how we can match strengths to opportunities but also how we can develop our people and invest in our people, whether that's through mentoring within the organisation or training, you know, um, I think there's many ways that we can really work with individuals. And with that, some people might have really big goals and others just might want to, you know, come into the station once or twice a week and do something 
that you know isn't super in depth, but they enjoy contributing. How do you accom- accommodate all these different wants? Yeah, look, that that's really the challenge, isn't it? It's it's a bit like um, creating perhaps a, a patchwork quilt or something, you know. <laughs> And, and, but I think what we end up with when we go through this process is we end up with the joy identity and that is, you know, the mixture of people saying, I want to do this, I want to come in, you know, every week. Like we have great um, what I would call operations team members who come into this organisation, some of them five days a week, mm-hmm. and they are absolutely passionate about the way we provide a service to our members our sponsors, you know, they're working with our IT systems, they're working over the phones with our people. That's what they want to do. They do not want to be broadcasters as such, and I completely respect that. So, you know, and then we have people who say, you know, look, I, I want to be, you know, sometimes we actually get people who say want to be a star, you know, and, and you know, <laughs> I, I want to be, you know, doing this show or that show. And, and what I would say is um, an organisation like ours exists because, we do a mixture of work here. We do the work that, you know, meets our number one goal, our passion, but we also do other work along the way like, you know, representing joy at events or participating in mm-hmm. joy at events or, you know, doing some work in the office because those mutual contributions make us who we are. So, you know, it's it's about, I suppose, explaining to people that, you know, any relationship, as we know, Arian, any relationship is a two-way relationship. And it's understanding what does each other need? That's the success to the relationship. What do we both need? So, you know, my role in these meetings is to explain what Joy needs and also to listen and ask our team members to explain what they need. And, you know, how do we, what's what's the middle ground we find? What does that look like? And that's where we create a beautiful organisation. It's a really bold and interesting idea. How are you going to keep this going with such a small management team? Yeah, sure. So that's one of the, I guess, opportunities that I would like to discuss with our team members is leadership roles. The organisation as such at the moment has way too small a leadership team um, and we need to actually broaden the strength of that team. We're really lucky because we have people here at Joy who have been with the organisation, you know, for many, many years Mm -hmm. and we need to harness that experience and knowledge into leadership. So, by that I mean, you know, we need those people to be mentors, but we need them to also, you know, take on some leadership responsibilities, looking after a group of their peers who have come, you know, after them and really nurturing and coaching and mentoring. And I think, um, you know, part of that expanding leadership roles is empowering people as well mm-hmm. to say we really value, you know, the skills and knowledge that you bring to this organisation and the skills and knowledge that you've accumulated while you're with joy and we want to you know harness that into a leadership role and have you as a leader and and i think that um perhaps in the past there's been a bit of a hesitancy to do that but it's crucial you know any organization whether people are paid or not paid we still need a really good nurturing and supportive structure that um makes sure you know all our people are engaged uh you know inspired and also accountable as well Mm. you know like it's a two-way thing where did you get this idea <laughs> well, it's something I've done at many organisations, um, and I suppose it came from my early days in in my personal career, um, learning about change management. And um, it, it's so fascinating to understand that the biggest piece of introducing change is absolutely matching people's desires to the opportunities that change, you know, promotes. Um, and it's funny; I was just having this conversation with one of our team members a few moments ago. Often when we talk about change, 
for, you know, research shows that for a majority of people it can invoke fear and doubt. But there's also that group of people where it invokes excitement and adventure. Mm. And what I want to do is I want to particularly work with people that where it might invoke fear or doubt to say there's actually opportunities in this yeah. and there's a vision behind this. So, you know, change is not about, you know, um, unnecessary disruption or unnecessary pain. It's actually about, you know, a brand new horizon and a brand new opportunity and um, that that's, you know, where it comes from. So I've, I've personally gone through a lot of um, work and training in introducing mm-hmm. change and that's, that's where the ideas come from. And we're certainly in a time of constant change as opposed to, you know, a year ago when life seemed kind of predictable compared to now. So it, it is very scary, but it's, it, it's great that you're seeing that there are opportunities through this and communicating that to people who might not be thinking that way. Look, absolutely, Arian, and wise perhaps or enlightened persons said, and I wish I could remember who to quote in this, but about 10 years ago, uh, there was a statement made by this person that the only known um, variable these days is is going to be change and that that change will become exponential. And, and it's absolutely true. I think it was said about 2012, 2011. It's absolutely true that, um, you know, workplaces, community, society is changing at an exponential rate. And, um, you know, it actually requires a change to the way we think and behave because, we, our schooling system taught us knowledge um, based on known what we call known or lived experiences. You know, mm-hmm. we sort of we learn by drawing on what we know. But we're moving into an era where we now learn on a combination or by combination of methods a little bit about what we know. But we now need to move into that space of intuition of playing to strengths because we will learn, but also we will find our niche by, you know, looking at ourselves and trusting ourselves more. The, the you know, the what we know piece is changing so fast that what we thought we knew, say, a year ago, mm-hmm. may now be out of date. And so we can't, you know, we can't sort of operate that way um, anymore. We have to operate in a new way. And one of those new ways is Joy TV. Could you talk a little bit about Joy TV and the Joy Nation initiatives? Sure, sure. Well, if I perhaps start with Joy Nation, the concept of Joy Nation is twofold. It's one, if I look internally, it's it's saying or recognising that Joy is a multimedia organisation that has many channels at our disposal, for want of a better word, mm-hmm. and those channels include an on-air frequency, mm-hmm. um, so radio per se, um, an internet-based radio channel, which is our web streaming, our app-based radio channels which of course is not just the joy app but itune and um, iHeartRadio. tune mm-hmm. in sorry and iHeartRadio. but then we also have video and joy has been experimenting in this way on social media with snippets here and there but joy tv is actually a platform to recognize that video is a very powerful medium for us to build a more inclusive australia which is the whole reason why this organization mm-hmm. exists and so um Joy Nation is two things. It's about bringing these different channels to life and really, really using them to make the content, wonderful content that we create more accessible. It's also about um, enabling us to also receive content and aggregate content from our community because our community have, as we know, so many great stories to tell and they're dotted all around Australia and now indeed globally as well and we want to capture those stories. So video will be a great way to be able to do that. But finally, the concept of Joy Nation is that a nation is a borderless, it's a borderless community. Mm. 
And that's absolutely what the rainbow community is. We are not a geographical community. We are we are a borderless community. And um, a nation brings together all those, you know, people together. And, and that's what, you know, an inclusive Australia is, you know, mm. is a nation of the rainbow community and our allies. So... Uh, I guess that's that's the concept in a nutshell, and uh, it's really flipping a little bit um, our purpose at Joy. And instead of thinking about creating a show, it's more thinking about who are the audience I'd like to reach, and what is the story or the content mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I want to share with that audience. And I might find that my audience prefer podcasts. Mm-hmm. You know, so I need to get out there and podcast mm-hmm. or my audience might prefer video. So I need to do some really good video, you know, or my audience prefers to listen to me in the car on their radio. So I need to be doing radio. And it's really about let, let's do the reverse. Let's start with the message, the audience, and then look at what's the best channel that we now have at our disposal to use to, to make that, you know, make that content. What sort of things are you hearing from the volunteers about this different approach? Yeah, look, so far uh, people have said to me it sounds exciting, it sounds really positive and it sounds like you're looking after us and that's um, that's really terrific for me to hear because that is the reaction I hoped for. Uh, I personally, um, at, a, at an em- employer when I was in my late 20s, went through a process very similar to this and it was the first time I experienced it and I learned a lot from it and I think it's about recognising that you know, an organisation is its people and its people are the organisation. And my job as a leader is, you know, how I sort of, you know, bring the two together as one. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I'm, I've am i certainly got good feedback and I'm, I'm really, yeah, really delighted about that. A lot of organisations with volunteers, uh, the, the paid staff are often spread pretty thin and don't necessarily have a whole lot of headspace or something like this. What would you say to somebody who's, in, in an organization that isn't great at change management and doesn't necessarily have a lot of capacity? What what should they be doing? Yeah. Look, change management is all about empathy. You know, I mean, there's, there's a, a heck of a lot of tools online that you can read and listen to. Um, but I, I was really um, lucky that we had a psychologist take us through a six-week training course on change management. He was a, a world leader at the time, and I'm talking back in the late 80s, which was really unusual. But, you mm-hmm. know, the organisation I was working for was a large corporate and at the cusp of, um, I guess, the change revolution. What I would say to people is, you know, it's a mindset. It's absolutely a mindset. So if you're going to work with people in change management, you need empathy and you need to understand that change evokes fear for a majority of people, mm-hmm. excitement for a minority of people. You know, your communication skills and your ability um, to work with people through the change requires a very clear vision so that there's some certainty as to what's at the end of the change and also the ability to nurture people and, you know, reassure people through the process mm. um, and, and making a space for people's voices to be heard, you know, um, and it's absolutely okay for people to articulate that, I don't know what this means for me. You know, that's a very common response. What does this mean for me? Because we go into defence mode, which we do. You know, mm. that that's part of change. That's that's our primal mode of things are shifting. Where do I find my new centre, my new bar? Yep. So change managers are all about making sure people feel safe in that process. Ange Berry, CEO of Joy 94.9. That's all for us today. Thanks so much for joining us, and I'd like to thank D. Mason, Nicholas Kamenyar-Sandry, Andrew Berry, Emily Johnson, Jordan Johnstone, Rachel Tyler-Jones, and everyone at the Community Radio Network for their production, assistance, support, etc. 
I'm the host and executive producer, Arian Potts, and we'll be back tomorrow. Mahalo. The Informer is funded in part by the Community Broadcasting Foundation, cbf.com.au, and of course, the members and donors of Joy 94.9. You can help us by visiting joy.org.au and become a member or donate. Any amount helps us bring you community-powered radio. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.